the idea is measures of performance measure how well you're doing the things you're doing. Like whatever the task is, are you accomplishing it correctly? Are you meeting the standard? And then measures of effectiveness, which is way harder to measure sometimes, but way more important is, are the things you're doing actually getting you closer to your goal? Um, and that those are not always the same thing. I guess, first of all, we should probably start. Who are you? I'm Alex Morrow. I am wildly underqualified for my job. I'm a former Army intelligence officer who got really, really lucky, um, ended up at the Army Physical Fitness School teaching master fitness trainer for a couple of years, realized how fun that was, asked the Army if I could keep doing it. They said no. <laughs> so I quit and they hired me to do it as a civilian. Um, so here I am. That's awesome. So Alex Morrow starting Alex Morrow starting mobs and Mo's, you're not qualified to do fitness, but they'll hire you back as a civilian once you decide to leave active duty. That's not that's pretty perfect. What about you? Uh, so my name is Drew Hammond. I am an H2F director. Currently, I'm an H2F director uh, with the Army under 18th Airborne Corps in North Carolina. Prior to that. I spent a long time in the Air Force Special Operations side of the house, first as a strength coach, and then as a program director. And I guess if we keep working backwards, prior to that, I was overseas in Scotland doing my postgrad work in Edinburgh. And I, that was sort of my first, expo really only exposure to professional sport in the sense that I worked with the international rugby program. I worked with we'll call it collegiate sport. It was in the United Kingdom, so it's not nearly the same level that I think we would be accustomed to here, but got exposed to a collegiate level of athlete and a variety of different sports, which was a lot of fun. Uh, but then before all of that, I was a business major at Chapel Hill with a minor in African studies. And I've used that minor zero times in my life. I guess my whole career has been on the fitness side. I, I still consider myself pretty underqualified. I think imposter syndrome is pretty, um, runs rampant in this field, but, uh, yeah, we got, we got connected, I think a couple, a year or so ago now at this point, uh, as the army was rolling out this new holistic health and fitness program. Uh, and then ever since then have just been basically talking smack back and forth on Instagram and via text and over the phone. And figured if we're going to do that, we might as well press record and see if we can bring some other folks on to join us. So, uh, yeah, well, I, I guess, you know, in the spirit of asking each other questions, what when you kind of sat down to create Mops and Mo's and, and we discussed the podcast, what was your what would your intent be as an outcome for this thing? Yeah. So as a disclaimer first, like you said, you feel unqualified. I feel like you're the qualified one on the podcast and I'm here just to like translate things into like army caveman speak and stuff like that. So until we bring on guests, until we bring on more qualified guests. I'll That's allow fair. That. We'll get really qualified people eventually and they can talk about it. What I realized is that, that the information we were trying to push out to people about how to train smarter and better and not hurt themselves so often was was really struggling to get out there and not because of any individual person's fault, just structurally people have other jobs to do way more to learn about it than people really realize. Like you can't, you can't really become an expert 
in how to design physical training programs as like a hobby on the side of your full-time army job. That's really hard to do. Um, and so what mops and mows is, is a way to like trickle out actionable, simple tools to design programs for soldiers, programs for tactical athletes in general that are a little bit less injurious and a little bit more effective. I think we're pretty good at making people sore and tired. That's the mops side of the, the equation, but focusing a little bit more on helping them actually perform better. This may be because I, again, I didn't come from a traditional background of like, you know, a graduate assistant in college, a strength conditioning intern. And a lot of guys that I, I work with have gone that route and it's nothing against that route, but I think being exposed to this population right out of graduate school and then being forced to sort of modify what I had been taught through that whole program, you know, and a lot of that is through a powerlifting optic or a track and field optic or a, or a, you know, a field sport optic. And then having to adjust a lot of that into the tactical world, I realized probably later than I wish I had, but after two or three years that the tactical athlete paradigm, if you want to call it that, there's really nothing in place that speaks to it as its own thing. So what I mean by that is if you go to any, well, not any, if you go to most weight rooms in the military space, you're going to run into professionals that are trying to adapt, you know, as an example, a football preseason program to a pre-deployment cycle or a, you know, running program to a group of Navy SEALs before they go on off on, you know, a training trip or whatever point being, for years now, we've tried so hard to modify. We, as, as sort of training professionals, have tried so hard to modify an existing paradigm to make sense for an athlete that's sort of fundamentally different from anything that we've ever been exposed to. And we'll get into that kind of down the road. But one of the reasons why discussions with you and, and with Mops and Moe's and a lot of the things we've talked about has been so encouraging is because it's to me sort of a first glimpse at opening up the door to this idea that maybe we're just doing things wrong and maybe we should start talking about how to do things different might be a controversial opinion but i've probably said it enough at this point to where people sort of think of me as the annoying guy that tells them everything that they know is wrong more or less well i'll challenge that a little bit and maybe maybe we're doing the things right. Like maybe we are executing them as well as we can, but maybe they're just the wrong things and they're not suited to the environment. And I think like an example of that is like you talked about trying to adapt a model from competitive sport and things like that to this, but we have, we have some way more foundational stuff that we need to address, especially in the conventional military in a lot of cases. And I, I started realizing this working, teaching the master fitness trainer course, but it's, it's become more apparent as I've bounced around and talked to other organizations. I think if you, if you ask the whole conventional military, how many of them have ever actually followed a program of any kind, period, you're looking at like less than 10% saying yes, probably significantly less than 10% saying yes. So we just have to like establish a culture that there, there is more to this than just making people sore and sweaty and sad. Like that's, we've, we've built a culture on just making people suffer a lot. And like, we have long steps to go before we get to conversations about micros and mesos and periodization and stuff. No, and I think that's a good point. I think 
when you think about, and I, I'll kind of use myself as an example, growing up sort of as a lot of us did in a post 9-11 era where we're essentially all, we've always been at war and you see a lot of content coming out. Like, you know, I won't name specific brands necessarily, but a lot of content online programming for folks that want to join the military programming for folks that want to do, you know, special operations. That's always been a really appealing pipeline for people. And if you really dig into all of those programs, like it's kind of exactly what you said, where basically at the end of the day, the idea is that you crush yourself over and over and over again, because you got to be hard to like fight the bad guy. And I think now especially both of us being involved in something like H2F and similar programs like that in the other branches, there's a push towards sort of, I guess we could say cleaning that up a little bit, but at the same time, nobody really until you and I decided to raise our hands have really stepped up and said, okay, well, if that's going to be the case, let's, let's try to do it correctly from the start, as opposed to, like some of these other programs in the military 10 years down the road, turning around and being like, man, we probably should have, change some things earlier on so that we didn't end up in this point where, you know, folks are getting injured, folks are non-deployable, folks are getting pushed out of the service because we've, you know, run them into the ground, not really knowing what the most effective approach was. Yeah. And I think there's a, a unique kind of phenomenon that makes it riskier for our population too, because, and this came from some conversations with sport coaches, but a lot of collegiate athletes are really well physically conditioned but not necessarily as mentally tough, so to speak, like willing to endure hardship. Like they'll quit if things get to involve a lot of suffering fairly quickly. And then on the flip side, we have fairly deconditioned people coming into the military, especially initial entry training. And we don't do a great job of like structured progressive strength and conditioning to build them up very well, but we do do a great job of making them mentally tough. Like that is one thing the army is great at through the process of basic training in a bunch of other schools is teaching people how to endure suffering and the combination of not being very well physically conditioned, but being very, very well mentally conditioned exposes people to a really high level of injury risk where they're going to push through pain that other people would quit because of. And we end up paying for that in profiles and subsequent VA disability and damaged readiness and all that kind of stuff. So I'll ask, I'll ask you sort of a, a basic entry question. So why do you think having gone through a lot of that yourself, having been active duty, why do you think, or how do you think we arrived at the point where the military, like, do you think it's just because it's simply a numbers game and you have so many people at your disposal at a leadership level to where it doesn't really make a difference if you really are being effective with the training or i guess how do you how do you think we've arrived at a point where you have these organizations that say you know over and over again people first people first people first people first but the first thing that often gets taken away or thrown to the side or considered sort of quote unquote less than is the physical fitness component i think a lot of it comes down to incentive structures like there are, there are a lot of incentives in place to, for commanders to try and maximize readiness numbers. Part of the problem with that is that if somebody's permanently injured, that shows up as green for deployability and that's fine, right? So you're not necessarily focused on fixing people. You're focusing on turning something red on a PowerPoint slide into something green on a PowerPoint slide. This actually gets at the root of why some previous attempts to build more formal strength and conditioning programs in the military have failed is because they usually 
get pushed by an individual commander uh, who really believes in it and wants it to happen. But ultimately, and in most cases, I would argue it produces really good return on investment from a high level perspective, like the, the amount saved in injury reduction is probably more, especially when you factor in subsequent disability than it costs to employ the professionals that were creating the program. But those two things don't come from the same pot of money. The commander pays for the strength coaches and athletic trainers and whoever it is that's running the program, but the commander doesn't get the money back that's saved from the medical system because that's entirely separate from his command structure. And so we have to tie the two things together to show the decision makers on a higher level that this actually is a cost-saving measure, not like a luxury expensive thing that we're trying to give to people just for fun. A fancy gym for the guys to train in. So without rambling about how we want to change the entire structure of the military, which we'll probably get to down the road in future episodes, what do you think for the, for the folks listening, the very few that will listen to episode zero, what do you, or what do we have in mind for the types of conversations we want to have, the types of people we want to bring on, the direction that we want to go in? Um, and, you know, down the road when this is all, when this is all said and done and we wrap it up, like, what do you think the hope would be that we've, we've accomplished, which we, I know we've touched on this a little bit already, but to just get really, you know, tactical with it for lack of a better word. Yeah. Well, that's first off, that's a good reminder for disclaimers about what this show is not. Um, first off, it, it reflects only our opinions and the opinions of anyone else who comes on here to hang out with us and not the official position of any government entity at all. Um, it also does not purport to provide medical advice and should not replace any conversation with an actual medical professional. And then it is definitely not the H2F podcast. This is just a conversation about tactical strength and conditioning. Uh, I'm sure we'll provide some things that are more useful to coaches and professionals. And I'm sure we'll provide other things that are more useful to the tactical athlete, the individual soldier, sailor, airman, marine, policeman, firefighter, whatever it is. Um, but I think it's, it's really exactly that. Uh, there's a lot of complicated information out there. There's different textbooks. They all conflict with each other. There's lots of YouTube channels and Instagram pages pushing out information that may or may not be good. It's really hard to tell if you're new to this. Um, what we're trying to offer is something not overhyped, but much more actionable than some of the really dry, like trying to read research kind of stuff. We just want to give tools to people on both sides of that, both the coach and the athlete. We want to equip them with tools to better understand how to train effectively. Yeah. And I know we've talked too about, you know, having discussion based stuff, having interview based stuff, providing a platform, because I think at this point in the game, I mean, tactical strength and conditioning has been around. If we consider the start of the war as sort of the beginning of this, not to include the implementation of physical fitness tests and like world war one and all that sort of thing. But I'm talking embedded human performance folks around the beginning of the two thousands, the profession is at an age now where there are enough people working in the field that have developed good ideas that you will always hear about sort of in the, in the corners of the conference or when you're having kind of a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a buddy and he points out that a coach in this location has done this thing. And it's very similar to what this guy's doing over there, or have you seen, you know, this approach? And so I think sort of to the point that we were talking about earlier, it's, it's at a stage 
and, and its development, this field where good ideas are starting to emerge, but they're still separated so much so that no one can really, no one at least has put together a, a synchronous um, platform to bring those people on. And that, that I think is another one of the reasons why we wanted to get together and do this so that we can provide people a space outside of any sort of formalized, you know, army environment, conference environment, just like you said, two dudes chatting back and forth and bringing folks on to sort of talk the talk. Um, in the hopes being, at least my hope being that we can bring in athletes, we can bring in coaches, we can bring in people outside of the military from, you know, the sports science field, the academic space, bring in soldiers, bring in folks in the Navy, bring in folks in the Air Force, and just have conversations around tactical strength conditioning. My hope would be when this is all said and done, that we've at least you know, to some sense, laid the groundwork for a formalized approach to all of this so that when we do start seeing people graduate, you know, whether it's graduating on the military side as a physical fitness trainer, graduating, graduating on the academic side as a strength and conditioning professional, but being able to be exposed to a body of knowledge around tactical strength and conditioning that exists in and of itself, as opposed to being equipped to handle, you know, XYZ sport oh, wait, now all of a sudden you're dealing with, you know, a brigade or a battalion or a squadron. Um, you know, how do you, how do you work around a deployment? How do you work around limited equipment? How do you work around limited time? How do you deal with all the different external stressors, that sort of thing? So I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited to give people a place to come together and riff on what's good, bad, and and ugly in this space. I'll also point out that we're recording this at like 8.30 at night. So if anyone gets mad at us for thinking we're on government time, we're very much not uh, to your point about disclaimers. <laughs> I think, yeah, going back to that too, creating an informal space for it, I think is pretty important because um, we have all these tactical strength and conditioning professionals that like you said, have been doing this for going on a couple decades now, but like the just like because of the nature of the organizations they support, it's all very stovepiped. And so we end up throwing people to the wolves to learn the exact same lessons over and over again, the hard way every time, reinventing the wheel. And I know there was, there was a moment for me like four months ago, something like that, where I bumped into several articles from the Journal of Special Operations Medicine that were saying things I thought were new. But then I looked at the date these articles were published and they were all over a decade old. Uh, and it was, it was really frustrating to realize that people that are members of the same organization, like they're still in the DOD, they're not that far away organizationally, have not just learned these lessons, but like written them down and published them in peer reviewed journals. And yet still we have people needing to figure it out painfully on their own somewhere else in the exact same organization. So creating something that can talk across those stovepipes to, to help people get the word out about things that work a little better. I think it's going to be absolutely critical for the community. Yeah. Things that work better. And I think also too, and this is something that you and I joke about a lot and to your point about stuff being published and existing and either people aren't exposed to it or it's sort of considered to be on the fringes and that sort of thing. But I think as a, as a coach myself, one thing that I enjoy doing is exposing other coaches to approaches and in lines of, of thought that might be outside what we're kind of all traditionally taught. Because I think if you pulled any strength and conditioning coach out of the weight room and kind of asked them, you know, what are your, what are your top five books? What are your top five programs? Who, who are the, you know, top five coaches you look up to? You'd, you'd probably get 
roughly the same answers from just about all of them. I mean, you might get some some deviation depending on the sport that they work with. But my point there is that we are all we all have been as as coaches, we've all been exposed to pretty much the same body of knowledge over and over and over and over again, despite the fact that a lot of a lot of areas that that body of knowledge pulls from have have moved forward in their in their development, whether it's physiology, biology, psychology, you know, what have you. And so that is kind of my own my own personal mission, if you will. And one of the things that I think this this platform is going to be good for is opening up some of those conversations around, you know, let's challenge some of the things that we think are appropriate, whether again, from a training standpoint on the coach's side or the training standpoint on the athlete's side. I mean, if you asked any soldier kind of what the appropriate way to train is, you'd probably get most guys pointing at CrossFit. You'd probably get a bunch of guys pointing at, you know, pick your favorite endurance book. You'd probably get a bunch of guys telling you that West side barbell is what you have to do. And so I think again, coming full circle with this, it's like, to be able to open the conversation up and look outside of what we're sort of traditionally taught, I think is another awesome benefit to this. And back to the initial point around tactical athletes being this kind of new, unique, separate thing. There's probably a lot of goodness in unpacking some of the traditional stuff because it, we may find that there's potentially, like you said, a, a slightly more effective or better way to go about doing this. I don't know if I made a point there or not. I was rambling for a while, but, um, well, that gets at yeah. what my role is on this podcast. <laughs> you said what your personal goal is. My personal goal is to take your ramblings and then distill them down <laughs> into like something that fits on like a meme that I can post on Instagram. Cause well, that's, that's, that's yes. the attention span people have is like, I need to create like a 15 second reel or like a, <laughs> an image with a one sentence quote. And that is what will land. That is what will get people to care about this stuff. Well, we had that conversation literally today where I was doing a guest post for Mops and Mo's that was probably two pages long by the time I sent it to you and we had to abridge it. Um, and I think my, my quote to you is something along the lines of my mom told me I could do whatever I want to be. So when I start typing, I just have a hard time stopping. And so, yes, I think, and that's the other thing too. I'm, I'm pumped to get people on who also ramble because when given a platform, that's usually when a lot of the best content comes out. So Yes. You know, if, if you serve as the willing army translator, I think that's probably a good thing because strength coaches tend to get hyper opinionated. That's what I'm here to do. <laughs> well, you know, I, I have no clue how long we've been recording now, but um, again, this would be episode zero. So not the official first episode, but in terms of setting the framework for where we want to go with this, giving folks a place they can come back to and check in to say, what is this, what is this all about? Especially once we're famous so we can stay grounded. We'll always come back to episode zero, but that's it for me. I like it. There we go. Hopefully something in there made sense. Probably not, but it's episode zero. So it doesn't there really we go. Yeah. We can cut <laughs> ourselves some slack. It'll get good later. All right. This is Mobs and Mo's. We're out. <laughs>